and invite up to the stage uh, Nathan French, who we keep referring back to, who had that really deep For those voice. That know Nathan. So, so Nate, what's interesting about Nate is that Nate is like finding Waldo through the COVID pandemic because I found him popping up on all of my dentist friends' Instagrams as he was going in and playing black ops and helping them with their marketing needs. And, and Nate is the go-to guy that I even reference in my speeches as one of the best for small businesses in terms of actually taking these dials and doing a lot of the stuff that we all get overwhelmed with. Nate does this for 12 different practices. Uh, a lot of those people are in this room. And this isn't a sales pitch because he's pretty much capped out with all yeah. of his clients. There's like, a, I think, a waiting list for him right now. But he is going to entertain, tell some stories, but I think uh, add some really profound pieces for you all to take away to really up your marketing and take it to the next level. So Nate, oh, and then what's cool about Nate is that he's so busy with his stuff that he actually has an Instagram profile called Nate Never Posts, and he never really posts on it because he's so busy with all of his clients. <laughs> he does his Instagram, but he's a digital nomad and a huge surfer and actually lives most of the time around Mexico and wherever he can surf. So we're all very jealous of, of Nate's life. So, crush it. Appreciate you. Um, so thank you, Chris, for the introduction. I want to say thank you to Craig and Pete for having me here. Um, as I mentioned, I run an advertising agency called Attention Driven, um, and we specialize in video marketing for dentists. So what I'm going to do is tell you three lessons that I've learned from a million dollars in paid ad spend from dentists. I'm not going to focus on the nuts and bolts of working within these platforms. Um, I read somewhere that from speeches, People only remember about three things. So I'm gonna focus on three things, high level, try to give you some philosophy behind the why of what we do. Hopefully that will help you to kind of empower you for what you do. And then, um, yeah, if you have any questions, come find me. I'll answer anything, help you out as best I can. Um, is this what I use for the slides? Just keep the green button, I'm assuming, yeah? Okay, so the first part of what I'm gonna say, I'm just gonna preface this by saying, I'm gonna talk about myself and I'm gonna tell you my story. I am very well aware that you probably don't give a hot damn about me and my life and what I'm doing and all those things, and that's not why you came to a marketing summit for dentists. But there's a point to what I'm going to tell you, and I'm gonna tie it back in, so just bear with me, give me a little bit of patience, and I promise I'll, I'll keep it moving quickly. So, from a very young age, I had the urge and the itch to go, 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 and see, 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 and get out of my hometown. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, from a small town just outside of there. After college, just like worked a corporate job, didn't like it, was kind of bored. I was like, screw this, I'm gonna go teach Korean kindergartners how to speak English. So these are my students and some pictures of my first class. I lived in Seoul for two, two and a half years. Um, spent a lot of time traveling in Asia afterwards, backpacked, traveled all over, came home, was broke. Had no idea what I was gonna do. No plan, none. It's like, all right, well, um, you know what? I just want to keep traveling. That's all I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to just keep going around and seeing different places and having the ability to live and work wherever I could. So I saved money, worked as a substitute teacher, bartender, bar back, server, construction worker, anything. Saved up money, moved to Medellin, Colombia in South America and started finding a way to work, live remotely wherever I wanted. Started getting into advertising, did a little bit of teaching, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, you can see some pictures. There's me and my ex-girlfriend at Day of the Dead in Mexico City. There's me and some interesting fellows over at Carnival in Colombia, and me and my buddy Dave at Machu Picchu in Peru. So traveled all over through, all over South America, 
went through, lived in Buenos Aires, lived in Lima, spent a lot of time again in Colombia, um, did a big six-week backpacking trip down through the Chilean Patagonia, um, through southern Chile, and spent six weeks hitchhiking. It was a professional dirt bag, you know, didn't even have a car or anything, just having fun. Um, and along the way, I was working on a site Upwork, and I met this guy, Pete. No idea who Pete was. He was like, hey, I need some help with some Facebook ads. I was like, all right, cool, I can help you out, but I'm going on this trip, so hit me back in like six weeks, and then we can like start working together. We'll figure something out. And it turns out Pete, kind of a big deal. And so I started working with Pete and working with dentists and working with him side by side and kind of getting in the kitchen and experimenting with different strategies for advertising, and that kind of became the genesis for this agency that I have. A um, little bit more about me, got a lot of friends and family members. Probably the most important one is my younger sister, Emmy. This is she and I. She's just like probably my all-time favorite person. She and I have done a lot of traveling. These are some pictures with us. We did a three-month backpacking trip through Europe. So we're in southern Spain and then us hiking through the Austrian Alps. And nowadays, you can find me down in Mexico. I love to surf. I took this sport up two years ago. It's absolutely just taken over my heart. I love it. I get so much joy from it. Live in a small little beach town. Just surf, hang out, you know, run ads, do my thing. Where's Hoppy? Do my thing, Hoppy, right? Just doing my thing. So, the big question, why does this matter to you? Why is this important to you all? Like I said, there's a point to it. Let's just put a pin in it. I promise I'll come back to that. So, let's get into lesson number one. Lesson number one that I've learned from working in dentistry is that people hate going to the dentist. This is how you view yourself. You are kind. You are friendly. You have a good touch. You're focused on whole health dentistry. You know how the mouth is the gateway to so many other health issues. You want to help people keep them healthy, and you really care, right? This is how the rest of the world views you. You are greedy. You are expensive. You are painful. You're going to cause them discomfort. You are going to do something that is going to ruin their day or their week. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to give them the something about Mary Veneers, right, the two chiclets. They are scared of you. Part of what I do for my job is I travel around the country and I interview patients. I've had the fortune over the past year to go everywhere from Austin to Charleston to Long Island, all over, and I interview patients. And this, the theme with every interview is the same. To be honest with you, I was very afraid of um, getting uh, any treatment because nobody likes dentists, you know? <laughs> so, um but I definitely have a fear of coming to the dentist. Um, I was really concerned that I was going to get judged for um, being afraid because, you know, most people say that they have a dental fear, but mine was an extreme fear. I have kind of a phobia. Um, I don't like dentists very much. Of course, as it got closer to the date, I did not want to come. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was scared of the shots. I was scared of everything. And... Had you not gone to the dentist for a while? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For how long? Um, years. I mean, I procrastinated that, you know, really bad years. My experience in the military <laughs> dentistry wasn't as pleasant as this. So uh, saying that, you know, I was just a little hesitant about going to dentist. You know, the, uh, the anxiety and all that stuff kicking in. But I am 60 plus years old and I have had many dental experiences. Um, can't say any of them were, were good or pleasant um, at all. Uh, it got to the point where I had to, um, the need for dental work versus the fear of going to a dentist um, outweighed itself.
this is just a small sample of all of the videos. I could have made a 20-minute clip of people talking about this same theme, right? Young, old, male, female, black, white, Latino, it does not matter. Austin, Charleston, West Coast, East Coast, people are afraid of going to the dentist. You have a public image problem, and it's not your fault. It just is what it is, you know? I'm gonna read to you some of these. I need to hop down so I can see these. These are some comments that people put on our ads. Um, some of these are really funny. So these things are great, but for comfort at the dentist's office, I need a dental wand, an ocean of Novocaine, and a bucket of halcyon. I don't know what halcyon is, but I'm assuming it's some form of drug. Um, I need dental work to fix my smile, or let's keep going. Wow, where can I find a good dentist like this? All I've had in my life is horrible. I'm reading from the wrong slide. There's the halcyon slide. There we go. Um, to work to fix my smile, but I'm too terrified of the dental work. Why is that? I gave birth twice, had a complete hysterectomy, about foot surgery, yet I'm afraid to go to the dentist. Somebody help me, please. These are comments that people are, are really leaving. It's expensive. They're afraid. So what I've come to realize is that dentists fall into a similar category as insurance companies. You provide a service that is necessary, but not necessarily something people want to receive. We all know we need insurance. You need home insurance, you need car insurance, you need life insurance. Are you excited to buy insurance? Are you excited to meet with your adjuster? Are you excited to file a claim? Are you excited to get a new quote? Are you excited to go through that process? Are you excited about receiving the details of what that process would be? No. I'm going to show you an ad. This is a commercial from a few years ago. Hope it plays. The Wi-Fi has been a bit spotty. This is one of my favorite ads of all time. Is that iced tea? Nope, it's lemonade. Is that iced tea? Lemonade. Iced tea? What's with these people, man? Lemonade. Read the sign. Lemonade. Read it. Okay. Delicious. Iced tea at a lemonade stand? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much money Marin saved by switching to Geico. Iced tea. It's lemonade, man. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Now, this leads to the question, what does this have to do with insurance? What does the rapper Ice-T at a lemonade stand with two young kids have to do with insurance? And the point, it has nothing to do with insurance. And that's intentional, because the advertisers who created this ad know that people don't want to hear about insurance. They don't want to hear about the services and the quotes and the rates, so they don't do that. They don't focus on a service that they know you don't want to hear, that you're, in, or that you're not interested in hearing about, and they instead focus on something more important. Attention, Pete alluded to this, Craig alluded to this, I can give you a very quick condensed course on what marketing is all about. It's all about attention. 100 years ago, the most dominant form of advertising was print media, why? Because there were two editions of the paper printed every single day, that's where people's attention was. As it shifted from, ra from print to radio, people, they started making ad or radio advertisements. From radio to TV commercials to now YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, the channels change, but the message and the, the core concept is simple. Marketing is about attention. So what these advertisers for Geico do is instead of focusing on a service and an offering that they, don't, that they know users don't want to hear about or people don't want to hear about, they focus on creating positive attention. They create an ad that is funny, interesting, and engaging. That creates a positive memory inside of our minds so that when we go through the uncomfortable process of having to find an insurance company or get a new quote or change insurance companies, we remember Geico and we have that memory and we have that positive memory like, oh, they're kind of funny. They're kind of cool. I like those ads. You know, if they're kind of funny and cool, maybe they're not as bad as State Farm. Maybe they're not as bad as Prudential or some of these other companies, right? They focus on creating positive attention for their brand. 
Which leads to the next question for you all is if you're in an industry where people don't like you, what kind of attention will you create for your practice? Let's go to lesson number two. Dentists aren't in the teeth business. I'm gonna tell you a story. In the late 1800s, there was a man by the name of George Eastman. Eastman had somewhat of a difficult life. His dad died at a young age, and he had to support his family working full-time from about 13 to 14 on. By the time he's 17 or 18, he gets his full-time job as a bank clerk, working full-time, making money, but he is the primary provider for all of his siblings and his mom. He did not have the experimental youth that so many people had to go on trips and go to college and go to university. When he's 24, he plans a trip to Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. As a part of this trip, he decides to buy a camera. He wants to document it. He wants to save these memories. He knows this might be a unique experience for him, and he really wants to be able to remember it and share it with people later on. So he goes out and buys the latest photography equipment of the time. For anyone not familiar, this is what it looked like to take a picture in the 1800s. You had your camera. Camera was about the size of an everyday microwave. You had a massive tripod to support that camera. You had your film plate, which you can see on the bottom of that front tripod. And then in addition to that, you had a whole other tent where you'd have to take the film and put it in these chemicals and into a whole process to actually make it so that it could get developed. If you didn't do this right away in a dark space, the film would get overexposed, the pictures would get ruined, and you'd be screwed. Eastman never makes his trip to the Dominican Republic, but he becomes uniquely obsessed with one thing, making photography more accessible and more convenient for everyone. He starts by creating a different type of film. It's a film that can be processed later on. It doesn't need these chemicals right away in that tent. So if you look at that picture, he just cuts off the guy in the top hat in the back, and it just, he, he distills it down to just the film, just the camera. He forms the Eastman Dry Plate Company, right? So he creates this film. The photographers are then able to create and or develop the pictures at their own convenience, makes it much easier. He's just getting warmed up, though. In, the late eight, in 1888, he introduces the Kodak One. This is the world's first personal camera. It makes photography available to anyone. Before this, photography was a profession for most people. It was like being a taxidermist or an accountant or a shoemaker. You bought equipment, you invested time, you had to you know, have these things to take a picture. This, is, this Kodak camera allowed people, there's 100 shots inside of it. You just press the button. You take your pictures, when you were done with it, you mailed it back to the Eastman Dry Plate Company, they'd mail you your pictures, voila, you were a photographer. They market it as this. You press the button, we do the rest, the only camera anybody can use, right? Over the next 10 years, personal photography becomes a national craze. It takes over the country, terms such as Kodaking and Kodakers become a part of the vernacular. By 1898, 10 years after the camera was first introduced, 1.5 million are sold. They sold them for $25. For anyone doing the math at home, that's about $37.5 million, which in 1900 is a lot of money. Like a lot, a lot. For the next 100 years, they rebrand the company and the, Kodak Eastman, or the Eastman Kodak Company dominates the personal photography and film industry. They're on the cutting edge of innovation in a number of ways. They innovate new cameras. They come up with motion picture and motion film technology. They come up with professional cameras. They come up with color film, Kodachrome. So they, allow, they create color film so we can take pictures in color. They take the first picture of our planet from outer space. 
They come up while working with researchers from the Manhattan Project. They come up with the technology for MRI imaging and x-rays. They come up with disposable cameras. They keep going. They keep innovating. They're killing it. They're crushing it. They even invent the world's first digital camera. They are so successful that in the late 1970s, they're found guilty of having a monopoly on the amateur photography business. They make the cameras, they make the film that goes into the cameras, and they run the development centers and processing centers that develop the pictures for people. It is a fully integrated, crushing it business model. They have annual sales of close to $6 billion. They're one of the largest and most profitable companies in America. And they become so ingrained into our culture that they become a part of the way we talk to one another. Has anyone ever used the phrase, a Kodak moment? Remember that? And then, in January of 2012, the Eastman Kodak Company files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They're done. They have to get a $950 million loan from Citigroup in order to continue. Which, you know, considering all of the success and innovation and dominance they had, leads to the next question of, what the fuck? How does that happen? Right? Like, how does that happen? How is a company that is so successful, so well ingrained into our country's fabric, how do they go bankrupt? How are they just, they're not even a company anymore, I don't think. They're gone. How? Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit more. I told you that Kodak invented the digital camera. This is Steve Sasson. He's the engineer that worked for Kodak that invented it. What I didn't tell you is that when he took this technology to Kodak's executives, he was met with a little bit of skepticism and criticism and hesitancy to adopt this new technology. He, see, what he says is that they kind of met it with a, hey, that's great, but like, don't tell anyone because we got this awesome business model and we want to make money type of thing. But it was more than that. Kodak executives were afraid that the picture quality wouldn't be good enough. They were concerned that people weren't going to want to view pictures on their televisions or on their computers. They didn't see the technology as being what they, what was something that was relevant to their film business. And what that, ha what that allowed to do is, so Kodak invests in these cameras, it invests in digital technology, but not a lot, just minimal stuff. And that allows companies like Sony and Nikon to invest in this technology and develop the processes to create these cameras. And if you look at this chart, and you look at this, this graph that's showing the demise, it really goes downhill in about the mid-1990s. And what happens in the mid-1990s is digital cameras become accessible to just to the general public. And they become the, the, the primary way of people taking pictures and sharing memories. And so what Kodak did and what Kodak's executives did, as much as it was greed, as much as it was just a lack of foresight, they really forgot what industry they were in. See, all of the innovation that had led up to that point, color pictures, disposable cameras, the brownie camera, it was all about making photography accessible to everyday people. It was all about making the capturing and sharing of memories accessible to everyday people. That is the industry that Kodak was in and they forgot that. This is a quote from George Eastman from the early days of the Kodak company. Photography is thus brought within reach of every human being who desires to preserve a record of what he sees. I'm gonna scroll on to the bottom. Enables the fortunate possessor to go back by the light of his own fireside to scenes which otherwise would fade from memory and be lost. Kodak was always in the memory business. They were never in the film business. They were never in the camera business. They were never in the imaging business and they forgot that. They failed to see that this digital technology was gonna be the most convenient and accessible way for us to capture and share our memories. What's the worst part about losing your phone? You lose the pictures, right? What's the first thing people go back for in a burning house? besides their animals and their kids and stuff. Photo album, <laughs> right? You want your pictures, you want those memories. That is what really matters to us, and Kodak forgot that. 
they focused on the film and the process of what they were doing and not the core of what their industry was about. I encourage you to not make that same mistake because I'm telling you, I have talked to a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people who you have helped, who these people, these beautiful people that I work with have helped. And you guys may think that you are in the crowns business or the Invisalign business or the, vene or the veneers business or the smile makeovers business, and you are not. You are not in that business. People do not really care about your ability to set a crown. They do not really care about your innovative DSD technology. They don't really care if you're a diamond level Invisalign provider. They do not really care about your all in four process. At the core of it all, this is what people care about. I'm more outgoing now just because I feel more confident with my smile. It definitely gave me the boost of confidence that I, that, that I, I wanted. Now the confidence was there before, but now you can't tell me nothing. <laughs> I think you notice it every day you look in the mirror. You notice it. Um, I think it gives you more confidence if you're in a, a crowd or with party or people because you know you're looking good from all angles. Presentations at work and that, and you know, your self-confidence, and you're no longer, you know, half smiling, you know? I know it's beautiful. I think it adds more confidence in myself. Overall, it just makes you feel good. It makes you, feel like you're being a better person for yourself, but also it's, it's not embarrassing when you smile, you know? I was so self-conscious. I felt embarrassed to be a hygienist and not liking my own smile. I talked to Dr. Nahada one day, said, let's get this going. And I wanted to get my smile to be confident and I wanted to be smiling again, honestly. And I always, I perfected the, the toothless smile like the you know, never showing my teeth because I was always so self-conscious, like right in the front too. And I hate, hate to say this, but you know, people do respond better when you have a, a beautiful smile. Now I can like talk and smile and laugh and not be like, you know, close my mouth. And you know, it does give you a huge amount of confidence. Couldn't be happy as you can tell in my Smile. I'm always smiling now and you know, and that's a great thing because it brings me back to how I, I am. That's me personally. I'm a smiler and I want to smile. Totally. I smile more. I'm more confident. I take more photos. Like when I take pictures now, I'm like, make sure you get those teeth. You know, I pay a lot of money for those teeth. I keep smiling at people, random people, random folks. <laughs> They're probably thinking, okay, something's wrong with you. The original video, I have a team of editors that works with me. The original video that we made, I said to them, hey guys, got this speech. I want to get all the videos, all the clips that we can of any patient we've interviewed talking about confidence. The original video we put together was 36 minutes long. 36 minutes, and it's five, 10, 15 second clips. This is the industry you are in. You are not in the teeth industry. You are in the connection industry. You are in the confidence industry. I encourage you, after this is done, after we all do our breakout, Go try to network with people and not smile. See how it goes. I dare you. It'd be fun, right? Your smile is the gateway to your soul. It's the gateway to who you are. That is the industry you're in, especially for high-level, big-time procedures. That is what you're selling. You're not selling the process. You're selling the story of who that person can become, how they can feel, how they can interact and connect with the world. Which leads to lesson number three. Stories are the key. Pete and Craig talked about this earlier. I'm gonna do it in a little bit different way. I told you my story. Why? Because maybe we'll work together one day. And my story is unique. It's different. 
I don't know much about all of the people in this room, and I don't know much about all the other speakers, but I'd bet a lot of them haven't taught Korean kindergartners how to speak English, or gone, through, gone to Machu Picchu, or, or hiked, hitchhiked through the Chilean Patagonia, or who served for the Mexican Pueblo. It's distinguishing. It's a way for me to connect with you. It's a way for us to start a relationship. Where's my man Jim Wolben? Jim, what do we talk about on our calls? Hoppy Lane, what did we do yesterday afternoon? Surfing. Went wake surfing, right? Jordan Davis, what did you ask me today when I saw you? First thing, how's Mexico, right? These are my clients, these are the people I work with. They buy into my story. That's how I connect with them. It's the most valuable way that we have to connect with other people and to create value in their lives. Because guess what? I know that just as you guys have a bad public image and, or have a public image problem, so too do digital marketers. Let's do a show of hands. How many people here have had a negative experience with a marketing company or a digital marketing company, website development company, SEO company, right? It's a lot of hands. And so I know that if I'm gonna earn trust, if I'm gonna earn faith, if we're gonna start working together, one of the best ways to do that is to share my story. When, we, when I leave this stage, we'll have stuff to talk about. We'll have things in common. It's the same reason I told you the story of the Kodak company. I could have told you you're not in the teeth business. Don't forget you're not in the teeth business. You're in the connection business. But instead, I told you a story, a story that will resonate with you, that will stay in your mind. You will remember the story in the fall of the Kodak company, and you will take that away from me and say, hey, I'm not going to be like them. I'm going to remember that this is about more than just this process. We're helping people. We're changing lives. So you can do this. And if these are your practices, I'm really sorry. I kind of pulled these from the Facebook ad library really quick. I hope not. But you can do this. You can talk about, you can run print ads on Facebook talking about how summer is the best time to get your wisdom teeth removed. You can talk about your services. You can talk about, you know, all of the staining that can come from coffee and cigarettes and these different things. And you can run these ads. Or you can try a different approach. And you can tell the stories of the patients that come into your practice and that you help. So Patty first came to our practice and she had some circumstances in her life that sort of took precedence over her dental health. At 51 years old, I ended up in rehab. I went through a period of, um, I guess, physical like rebranding, trying to make myself live a better life. When we had first seen her in our practice, she was wearing a removable denture, and it was a really difficult situation for her. She was having a hard time eating certain foods. She was having a hard time with her speech. What I had was the denture that had to have glue on it. I would always cover that feature because I knew that it was substandard which was making me feel substandard. We elected to pursue an all-on six restoration. We placed six implants in her upper arch, and then on those six implants, we fixed a full bridge. The upper arch healed for nine months, and then we remade the existing case to something similar to this. It's a full contour zirconia bridge. And her bottom arch, we pursued a series of implants in the bottom, a few in the back, and then we put all ceramic crowns on all of her other teeth. I've basically been at it, I think it was like three years now. What I liked about the way they approached it was, it was about me, it was individuals, about like what Patty's face looks like. I never had that experience at a dentist office. They make you feel welcome, they make you feel comfortable. They took my grandson in a back room, they gave him a gift, they put together a vision, they put together a plan. They talked to me 
about what it would take to get me through the process. You know, I think what was most amazing about her when the case was done was the level of confidence that she had. This really has transformed her life and given her the smile that she deserves. Yeah, I feel great. I really do. I even walk differently. This is a whole new level that I've never experienced before because now I can be physically confident, you know, as well as mentally. It goes hand in hand. This place provided me with more than just teeth. It really was. It's a lifestyle they provided me. Allow people to see themselves in the stories of the people that you help that are coming into your practice already. I'm going to share with you a video. This is from one of uh, the videos that Pete and his videographer created for Atlanta Dental Spa. And we're just going to watch the first part of this because I think this is kind of cool. Beverly came in to see us because she saw Wanda's video on Facebook and she told me, I want to be your next Wanda. I saw the video um, and there was a lady on there um, that had gotten work done and I told him I was going to be the new one of her. I can't remember her name, but Wanda, yes. This woman is seeing herself in the patient. She's seeing the video and she's saying, I'm going to be her. I'm afraid of the dentist. I'm in pain. I have a similar issue. I will be her. Instead of talking about yourself, create positive attention by sharing the stories of the people who you're helping. And now this is great. They haven't seen this video yet. We just finished this for them a couple of days ago. If you don't want to share the stories of the patients that you're helping, take a page out of my book and share your story. Open yourself up to the community that you're serving so that they can come in and connect with you. There is a friction to coming and receiving dental treatment. People are afraid. And one of the best ways to make them more comfortable is to let them know who you are, to share your story. <laughs> Hi. Sorry. Hi. Hi, Amanda. <laughs> okay, you want to make it weird? Can't we just do it like normal people? No. Hi, I'm Julia. And I'm Akpo. And we are the owners of Omeni Family and Cosmetic Dentistry. A lot of people say spouses working together is the worst idea possible, and it is not the worst idea possible. I was working for another dentist out in Lancaster, and we knew we wanted to be closer to the city. We found this practice here, and I was a little bit hesitant about... A lot bit hesitant. <laughs> a lot bit hesitant, because I really love teeth, but I have never loved all the management and business aspect that comes with it. So. Akpo very kindly decided to help me out for a little bit, and six years later, he's still helping me out, so I think I won that one. Um. We have too many children, I'm kidding. We have three children, three girls. They have gotten to grow up with the practice too, so when we bought the practice, our oldest was eight months old, toddling around and getting into mischief, and that has continued, and now there's three of them all getting into mischief around the office. And then other things we enjoy, so reading and exploring nature trails around the area. Those are not Akpo's two favorite hobbies, but yeah. I grew up in Maine and I love being outside. And books and outdoors are two of my <laughs> least favorite things. Don't... Unless you're playing football. True. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Hi. If you guys ever think you need a new dentist for any reason or just want to come say hi, we would love to meet you. Go away. Bye. I'll be your spoon. (laughs) 
I want to go to that dental practice. I want to be in that family, right? I want to hang out with that beautiful British accent and be close to that guy. They're cool, they're friendly, they're nice. Oh, I cut that off too early, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that, I'm tight on time, so I'm gonna wrap it up here quickly. Um, I never thought I would work in dentistry. I'm gonna tell you that honestly, I never thought, you asked me three, four years ago, if I thought I'd be up on a stage talking to a bunch of dentists about it. This would have never even been in the sphere of my wildest thought. And I never thought I'd have this much fun doing it. I never thought I'd get to work with so many cool people and see so much positive and effect and change within this industry. I had no idea the impact that you guys have on people's lives. I really didn't until I started interviewing these people and hearing about what they had to say. You have a public image problem, and it's not your fault. It's not because you're bad people. It's just the way it is. People don't want to come into the dentist. I really encourage you to change that. Change the attention you're receiving. Change the narrative. Share the stories of the people you help. Continue to help more people. Continue to change lives. I think you guys do awesome work. Um, I hope you got some value from this speech, and hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. So awesome.